So if you have your Bible with you, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 21. As a reminder, we are at the portion of Luke where Jesus has entered into Jerusalem, his triumphal entry, and he went straight to the temple after, after mourning for Jerusalem, seeing the judgment that would come on the city. He goes into the temple. He begins disputing with the religious leaders. Uh, this final great dispute in the, the last, life, uh, last week of his life and his earthly ministry and uh, in our passage today, uh, we are moving into a section where, where Jesus is beginning to lay out what could be called eschatology, a, a theology of, of last things, and speaking of the end of Jerusalem, the end of the temple, and ultimately the end of the world. And in this, this text in, in chapter 21, um, where if you were to follow the, the logic of the whole passage, it's, it's basically a long discourse through this whole chapter, um, starting in verse 5, um, but we're actually going to break it up into two sermons, and so today we're going to be looking at verse 5 to 19, but just as we're looking at this, you can even be reading ahead that, that his, his argument is going to continue in verse 20 that we'll look at next week. So again, this is Luke chapter 21. Uh, this is printed in your bulletin. Uh, you can also find it on a Bible app, or if you type in the passage into the browser, if you're watching online, uh, Luke chapter 21, I'll begin reading in verse 5. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be torn, thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray. For, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and a wisdom with which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. Some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, 
but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we need you today, as always. Lord, we pray that you would guide our walk through this passage. It is your word. This is not my word. I pray that you would help me to be faithful in representing your word today, that uh, that we would be convicted, renewed, changed. Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So this text today, as you saw and heard, uh, begins with Jesus in the temple. I already said that. But as he's there disputing with the religious leaders, he hears people discussing the architecture of the temple. You could almost think of it as, as tourists gawking. If the camera had been invented, they would be taking pictures and, and selfies in front of the, the temple structure uh, because they're amazed at this amazing, incredible building. And I don't know if any of you have ever had the experience of going into a cathedral like Westminster Abbey in London, but if you have, you know what it's like to walk into one of those Gothic medieval cathedrals, and you feel like you're walking into a mini replica of, of heaven. Um, you see the stained glass windows, the high ceilings. Everywhere around you, you're surrounded by, by history, and it's just, just glorious. You just can't believe it. And that's the experience for us going into a structure like a cathedral, even in the modern world, with all of the incredible architecture that we get to see regularly in major cities. But imagine yourself being a first century Jew. You live in a little brick hut somewhere in Israel. You've never seen the Colosseum in Rome. Uh, you've never seen the Parthenon. You've, uh, uh, you've never seen any of the, the great wonders of the ancient world. But then you go up to worship in Jerusalem. You come to the temple. You see this enormous structure, and you're, you're overwhelmed by the history. This is where Solomon built his temple. Uh, This is where Abraham went to offer up Isaac on the mountain. Uh, This is the place where after the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians, it was rebuilt under the leadership of of Ezra. And because of building projects for almost 50 years at this point, uh, it had been transformed from a glorious temple to one of the wonders of the ancient world. Uh, And, of course, that temple is, is no longer standing, but we wish that we could have seen it. But as people are, are marveling at the, the temple, Jesus doesn't join in their amazement. Because look at what he says in verse 16. He makes this dramatic prediction. He says that, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And so Jesus is saying, eventually this temple is going to be destroyed. It's going to, the whole thing is going to be torn down. And that prediction would have seemed completely unbelievable to the people who would have heard it for the first time. It would be kind of like telling somebody on the World Trade Center in 2000, say November 2000, that a year later that structure wouldn't be there anymore, that, that it would be completely gone. It would seem 
unbelievable. It would be a crazy prediction for those who heard it because this, this structure seems permanent. It seems almost eternal and immovable. But of course, Jesus is talking about an event that did, did take place in AD 70. And we talked about this a few weeks ago when Jesus was mourning over Jerusalem because eventually about uh, 37 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Romans surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Uh, they eventually took the city, um, mass slaughter in the streets, the, the second great Holocaust after the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And the Romans went up to the temple and disassembled the temple stone by stone. Um, and even today, if you were to go to Jerusalem, the, the temple is not there. You would see the Dome of the Rock built on that spot that was uh, built by Muslims in the 600s, uh, that it was torn down. The only thing that remains is just a side portion of the original temple, which is the Wailing Wall, where Jews go um, to this day to, to pray and to long uh, for the, the, the restoration of the temple because there's been this cessation of sacrifice since 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. But of course, it's, it's interesting, just as a, as a side note, as we see this prediction from Jesus here, uh, that the book of Luke was written before 70 AD, most likely in the early 60s. And uh, they know that partly because uh, Luke wrote both the, the book of Luke, uh, but he also wrote the book of Acts, the, the second volume about the history of the early church. And if you read the book of Acts, it ends with Paul being hauled to Rome in about 60 AD. Uh, to stand trial before Caesar, and it ends kind of abruptly when you read it. It feels like a strange spot to end, and that's because he wrote the book before the Apostle Paul was beheaded by the Romans before 70 AD. He wrote the book uh, before Peter was crucified upside down, before the climactic events that took place for the church in the destruction of Jerusalem. And so what we see here in this passage from Luke is a, is a testament not only to the predictive power of Jesus, but also to the predictive power of the Word of God, uh, saying something that would have been unbelievable to hear us at the time, but that came true within the lifetime of the people who heard it, reminding us of the authority and the inspiration of Scripture. But in our text, though, as Jesus makes this prediction, his disciples ask an important question. And look at their question in verse 7. They say, "'Teacher,' When will these things be? And what will be the signs when these things are about to take place? So in response to, the, to this bold prediction, they ask this, this two-part question. They say, when will this happen? What's the timing of it? And then the second is what? What will be signs? What should we expect leading up to the destruction of the temple? And as this passage unfolds, then it's interesting that Jesus completely sidesteps, does not answer the first part of their question. He does not tell them when it would happen. And he could have said, uh, well, it's going to happen 70 years after my birth, or it's going to happen in roughly 37 years from today, so be ready. He could have said that, but instead what he does is he tells them what to expect before these things takes place. And so he says first that they should expect false signs. If you look in your Bible, that's verse 8 and 9. And then he tells them that they should also expect true signs before the destruction of the temple. That's verse 
10 to 19. But if this passage is only about the destruction of the temple, if it's only about events leading up to AD 70, then you might say, okay, well, why did I come out risking snow today if these things have already taken place? Is this passage um, that I read actually relevant and applicable for us today? And that's an important question. And the answer is that it is relevant for us today. And the reason is because throughout Scripture, throughout the teaching of Jesus, the end of the world, the judgment of God on the entire world is tied together with the destruction of Jerusalem. And I I read one commentary that said it looks at the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem with bifocals, where you look at it in one perspective, okay, you think you're talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. You look at it from another perspective, you're really talking about the judgment of God on the whole world. And as we'll see next week, as Jesus continues, he seamlessly is going to move into the second coming, into the events of the, of the last days. But we, we don't see the scene. We don't see when we move from God's judgment on Jerusalem to judgment on the final uh, world. Because in a way, you can say that God's judgment on Jerusalem was the first installment of the final judgment, that the final judgment began in 70 AD, that has been continued through true tragedies, through disasters, foreshadows throughout the last 2,000 years as we look for the second coming in life to come. And so we'll see then that, that this passage was true for the disciples. It told them what to expect leading up to the end of the temple, and it's true for us as we prepare for end of the world. And so with that in mind, this is our, our outline if you're, you're taking notes that Before the end of the world, expect true signs and expect false signs. So first, expect false signs, and then second, expect true signs. And so first, before the end of the world, expect false signs. This is what Jesus shows us in verse 8. Look there again in your Bible that Jesus says, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. And so you see the the command there from Jesus. He says, see that you are not led astray. Don't be led astray. That he wants his disciples to be aware that there are people who are going to come in his name and are going to claim prematurely, this is the end. The day has come. And uh, this is exactly what happened in that period leading up to the destruction of the temple, that there were many false messiahs uh, claiming that this is the end, the time had come, and believers were tempted to to follow them, to be led astray. And as I said, though, the, the events of the destruction of Jerusalem are so closely tied to the end of the world that what Jesus is saying here is true for us as well, that, that what he's warning the church against, these false signs, false claims of the end, has been true every single generation of the church, uh, that, that people come along and say, I'm the Messiah, or I speak in the name of the Messiah, or I figured out that it's the end, and so you need to, to sell everything, move out to the desert, the, the end is at hand, listen to me, this is an apocalyptic movement 
a conspiracy theory to, to follow some religious leader. So you could think of the, the Millerites in the 1800s, or even more recently, some of you may remember Harold Camping. Um, he was a well-known pastor, evangelist, had a radio program, and he predicted through reading scripture the end of the world on May 21st, 2011. And there was a, a massive ad campaign. He had numerous followers. Uh, people were truly expecting the world to end in 2011. Uh, I think from, I saw in one place that he spent $5 million on, on billboards predicting the end of the world. And of course, that day came and went. The second coming did not take place. And so he falls into what Jesus is talking about. Do not be led astray that there will come people in my name saying, the time is at hand. And that's why Jesus says that you have to be careful. There will be false signs that the end will not be at once. But of course, Jesus here doesn't simply warn us against false signs coming from false messiahs or false predictions. But he also says that he, he essentially doesn't want us to make false inferences from the news, from reports of current events. In, in verse 19, he says that you will hear of wars and tumults. It will seem at times like the, the end of the world. But he says, don't be terrified. Don't be afraid of the things that you see on the news. And you say, well, why? And he says, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. And, and notice that word must, that, that this is all in the providence of God, that these things must take place. It is necessary that these things take place, but the end will not be at once. And so again, for the, for the immediate horizon for the disciples, he's saying, before the destruction of the temple, be careful. Don't be afraid when you hear of wars and tumults and, and rumors of wars. That doesn't mean that immediately the temple is going to be destroyed. But again, if we think of this in light of the broader horizon of, of the judgment of God coming on the world, that it would have done the church well to pay attention to the words of Jesus here in the 2,000 years. Again, if you look at church history, uh, the year 1,000, people thought, well, the, the book of Revelation talks about a thousand-year reign of Christ. This has to be the end of the world. And the Vikings were you know, marauding, pillaging Europe. Okay, this has to be the end. A comet was passing over in 1066. This has to be the end. But it wasn't. It was a false prediction. Or, or people thought the Black Death, half of Europe's population dying of this terrible disease, has to be the end. This is the end. There was a vast movements, apocalyptic, saying that the end times had come, but it wasn't immediately. Or when the Mongols spread their empire from Korea all the way to the gates of Vienna, people thought, this is it. This is the end. The apocalypse has arrived, but it wasn't. Where people thought, when they, they saw the religious wars and the, the church being ripped apart in the 16th century, this has to be the end. I know even Martin Luther thought for sure that the second coming would happen in his life in light of the events that were taking place, but it didn't happen. People thought the same thing in World War I, World War II, when nuclear bombs were used on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. This has to be the end. We are the last generation. But again, 
If only they had paid attention to the words of Jesus, do not be led astray, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. And I think that this is also important in our modern world now. When we see a pandemic, we see uh, tumultuous events on the world stage, conflict. I've had many people, many of whom actually aren't even religious, say, so you think that this is the end? Are we the, are we the last generation? Is Jesus coming back soon? And who knows? We don't know. The scripture says no one knows the day or the hour. So we don't know if it's the end. But we have to be careful. We have to be careful not to be led astray, not to be afraid, not to be terrified, because he says that these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. And so, and so my question for all of us is, is how do we respond to current events? Are we afraid? Are we led astray? Are we easily moved? But because the call for Christians is not to be led astray into conspiracy theories or to be um, overly affected by the things that we see on the world stage or the news. But the call is, is to be aware that Jesus is coming back someday, but that the call is faithfulness here and now. What does it look like to be faithful to your family, faithful in your church? What does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself, to, to live in, in obedience to the, the word of God, trusting in Christ? That that is our calling on a daily basis, to be faithful in our vocations, to be faithful in our jobs, to be, to be diligent, to do all the things that we do, cleaning our house, mowing our lawn, uh, maintaining the world, raising up our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. These are things that we're called to do, not, be, to, not to be terrified, not to be carried away. And so this is then the first point from the text here, that expect false signs before the end of the world just as the disciples expected false signs before the end of the temple. But then second, moving into the second section of this text, before the end of the world, expect true signs. So look at verse 10. Jesus continues, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines, pestilence, and there will be tares and great signs from heaven. And so Jesus is saying, even though there will be false messiahs and false signs leading up to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, there will also will be true signs. And this was actually borne out in history leading up to the destruction of the temple. The 60s were a tumultuous time. And I'm not talking about the 1960s in America, but this, the AD 60s were of an extremely difficult time to be alive in the Roman Empire. And listen to this description of the 60s from Tacitus, a Roman historian. He says, the history on which I am entering is that of a period rich in disasters, terrible with battles, torn by, by civil struggles, horrible even in peace. Four emperors fell by the sword. There were three civil wars, more foreign wars, and often both at the same time. Italy was distressed by disasters unknown before or returning after the lapse of the ages. Beside the manifold misfortunes that, that befell mankind, there were prodigies in the sky and on earth, warnings given by thunderbolts, prophecies of the future, both joyful and gloomy, uncertain 
and clear. And so that's, again, Tacitus, a Roman historian, talking about this period leading up, saying this is a hard time to be alive. This is a tumultuous period in history. He talks about wars and, and assassinations and civil war. And, and even Josephus, the Jewish historian who described the destruction of Jerusalem, talks about even astrological events that foreshadow the destruction of Jerusalem. He writes this um, in his Jewish wars. He says that a, um, a star that looked like a sword standing over the city, a cow giving birth to a lamb, strange lights seen in the sanctuary, a comet that lasted a year. And so again, according to historical records outside of the Bible, that there were these signs True signs leading up to the judgment that befell Jerusalem. And of course, I think that that is, um, why would God do that? Why would he have this prophecy partially fulfilled and and that time? And I think it reminds us that the God's word is true. And so as we wait for final judgment to come upon the world, we know that everything that God says in his word will come true. Uh, And so as we think then of the, the, the broader horizon of the end of the world that is in view here as well in our, our bifocals and the lenses of this text that he says nations will rise against nation, kingdoms against kingdom. If you read the book of Revelation, it talks about the expectation of international conflict or uh, it, it, it says that there will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and, and pestilence. Again, read the book of Revelation and you'll see that this expectation of natural disasters is, is frequent. Um, or he says that there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. And again, that is spoken clearly in Revelation 12, 1, 13, 13, 15, 1, that, that there is this, this sense of, yes, we shouldn't be led astray by false signs, but then we also shouldn't ignore true signs, that, that Jesus wants us to interpret reality in light of the truth of his word. And it's not that, again, we fall into the trap of thinking that every generation, this is it, this is the end. But what we see is that, that all the terrible events in the last 2,000 years are, in fact, harbingers of something to come, that they're pointing to something in the future. And I mentioned the destruction of Jerusalem pointing to the final judgment, but we could talk about the fall of Rome, the fall of this great empire. People never thought it could fall, pointing to the destruction of the world, or the Islamic expansion wasn't the end but pointed to the end, or the the Viking raids wasn't the end but pointed to the end, or the the Mongols, or the Black Death, or religious wars, or World War I, or World War II, or the nuclear bomb, that these things weren't the end, but they're they're pointers, they're signposts, they're they're reminding us that that this world is tenuous, that this world is, is here today, gone tomorrow, that this is not where our ultimate hope is rooted. And that's the same in the things that we see in the world stage today, whether it's the pandemic or conflict, that it's not necessarily that it's the final end, but it still reminds us this is not your final home. This is not where your hope is, is rooted, that, that judgment is coming upon the world. And the, the way that we escape that judgment is through Christ, through his life, through his death, through his, his resurrection, through his sacrifice for us. But then on all of this, Jesus is saying that that not only do we expect these signs, but the ultimate sign that the church should expect is religious persecution. Look at verse 12. He says, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, 
delivering you up to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Again, this is what happened before 70 AD. This is what Luke himself records in the book of Acts, the, the stoning of Stephen by the religious authorities, the, the death of James, the, the scattering of the church as the persecution arose, the uh, Christians being hauled before assemblies, being stoned to death, being imprisoned, Paul being brought before Caesar in Rome. And then ultimately these things came to a head under Nero with the great persecution of the church, the beheading of Paul, the crucifixion of uh, Peter, the, the death of almost every apostle except John of martyrdom before 70 AD leading up to these climactic events that that this is the experience of the early Christians. And what we see in verse 16 was true for them, that you will be delivered up by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And that is true for us as well, that you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But then in verse 13, Jesus tells his disciples how to have hope and strength in the midst of this. He says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. So see this persecution as an opportunity from your lo loving Father. Settle it, therefore, in your mind not to meditate beforehand how you ought to answer, for I will give you a mouth of wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And so he, he's saying, again, this, is, this punishment that coming is not a punishment from God, but it's an opportunity for witness to the glory of God, and that, that that's the witness of the church throughout the ages as persecution that the church has faced in nearly every generation, that there's this strong witness to the church, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church throughout the ages. And even now as we look at persecution around the world, there is more religious persecution now than almost any other time. Uh, there are websites that track persecution around the world, and and we wonder, how would we respond if, if we face death, if we face true physical persecution? Would we be strong enough to endure it? And that's where the promise of verse 14 is for us. He says, I will give you a mouth of wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to contradict. And he's not saying that we shouldn't prepare, that we shouldn't, or that ministers shouldn't prepare sermons, but he's saying that, that in the moment of trial, if you're ever really put in the position of having to answer for your faith, that... God is going to be faithful. He's going to give you the words to speak. And that promise is comforting for small moments where somebody might ask for an answer for the hope that you have or a hostile friend or family or, or neighbor that, that we get, have the words to speak from the Spirit. But ultimately, if heaven forbid there was ever intense persecution, that we wouldn't need to be afraid. We wouldn't need to worry because God would be with us even in those darkest moments. And that in it all, we could remember the promises of verse 18 and 19, that not a hair of your head will perish, and by your endurance, you will gain your lives. And you look at that and you say, well, is that true? How can that be true? Because he just said that some of the disciples will die, some of them will be persecuted and killed, but he says, not a hair on your head will perish. Is this, is this incoherent? Is there a contradiction here? And it's not because... Because our hope for life of that he's promising is, again, not the horizon of life here in this world, that we could lose our life, we could lose everything in this life, but that through endurance, through faith in Christ, that we have promise of a life to come. And that life is secure because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, because of what is symbolized and sealed in this meal, that his body was broken, his 
blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins, that, that if we talk about the final judgment of God breaking into the world, that the, the ultimate breaking of the judgment of God into the world was the cross. Jesus bearing the wrath of God in our place. Jesus facing persecution from the religious leaders, from the civil leaders. And, of course, when we repent and trust in Jesus and his life and his work, that when we face troubles, when we see scary things on the news, uh, when, we, when we wonder if this is the end, we don't have to be afraid, we don't have to lose hope. We can be confident, sure. We can have hope of the life to come because just as Christ went to death, rose, not a hair on his head, was hurt in the end through the resurrection. That's the promise of resurrection life for us as well through